You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. Rewilding Earth podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia, Catula, and Biohabitats, as well as the Whedon Foundation and listeners like you. If you love the work that the Rewilding Institute is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter while you're there. Not everything in the fight for wild nature requires conservationists to fight just to keep our heads above water in the hope that we can hang on until systemic change begins and we can take a breath. There are things we can do that don't involve always going on the defensive. In fact, it can be argued that if all we do is stick our fingers in each new hole that appears in a dike, we will ultimately drown. We also have to be proactive. We have to set the narrative. We have to fight for what we want, not just against what we don't. And that's why I'm excited for today's talk with a conservation legend who is going to show us all how it's done. I'm thrilled to end our year with a message of hope as well as a message about kicking ass for nature in 2020 and beyond. It's time to go on the offensive. Michael Kellett has been executive director of Restore the North Woods since co-founding the organization in 1992. In 1994, he developed the original proposal for a 3.2 million acre Maine Woods National Park, which laid the groundwork for the 2016 designation of Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument by President Obama. Michael has helped in efforts to safeguard the legacy of Henry David Thoreau, including Walden Woods and the Thoreau birthplace, and to restore the Eastern Wolf Canada lynx and Atlantic salmon to the Northeast. Michael previously worked for the Wilderness Society, helping to pass Michigan and Maine National Forest Wilderness Bills. He co-authored Massachusetts Bill H897, which would protect all state conservation lands, covering 11% of the state as parks and reserves off limits to logging and other industrial development. He's also visited more than 250 national park system areas across the country. I really love the idea that there's somebody out there working on new things. And what I mean by that is the idea of creating new parks versus what most of us work on is stopping the loss of habitat, whether it's private or public land. Tell me more about what it's like to be a guy who's always looking at how can we create more tightly protected areas like this? Well, I I got interested in national parks. My dad took us when I was a kid to Shenandoah National Park in in 1966, I think it was. And it was like 101 degrees in Washington, D.C. We stayed there a couple days. And then he takes us up into the mountains to Shenandoah National Park. And it's cool. And it was raining a little bit. And then it cleared up. And I thought, wow, this is really amazing. But I was from Detroit, and um, we didn't have any national parks nearby. And then we traveled out west after that and visited national parks. And I thought, you know, we, why can't we have national parks in Michigan and in the Midwest? Why, you know, what? Re- and to me, the more I looked at it, of course, it's it's an accident of history that we did. Uh, you know, when the colonists came over, they just mowed down all the forests and turned them into farms and so forth uh, without thinking about the long-term implications. And it wasn't until we got till about the, the, you know, past the grasslands to the West, people said, oh, well, you know, maybe we ought to hang on to a little bit of this land. And then we, so then we had the public domain, but then we still decided we were going to exploit that. And so uh, the only places that really are not exploited, basically not at all for resources are national 
national parks and monuments and wilderness areas. And for some reason, we got the idea that they those are should be rare and unusual and only be in very extremely, you know, like Grand Canyon or giant mountains or super special places. And, and you know, to me, that's like saying libraries should be rare and unusual. We just can't afford to have too many libraries or museums. Oh, we, you know, we got yeah. enough museums now. We don't need any more. We need to realize that national parks are, are super important for not just because of something like uh, Old Faithful or whatever, which is great, but they're, they're, we're now realizing they're super vital for carbon sequestration, for, for forests and wetlands and grasslands that, hold, that absorb and hold carbon to help climate, fight climate change. They're really important for biodiversity. The most intact ecosystems in, left in the United States are basically uh, surround, including and surrounding big national parks or wilderness areas. Those are the most intact areas left because they've been protected. And then now we're realizing, in fact, that they're e even more important for people than we used to think. Now we're beginning to realize that nature actually has a positive impact on people's health, mental and physical health. There's a concern about nature deficit disorder in people who don't have enough access to the outdoors. National parks are an antidote to that. And, and, the, and yet we don't have very many national parks near our big population centers where most of the people are. So there's a whole lot of reason to have more parks um, and not very many good reasons not to have the parks. We know that they're good for the economy. And so what I did is I said, you know, what's the potential for new national parks? And working with others, I assembled a list of about 500 areas at least um, all across the country, every state, every territory, that could be new and expanded national parks. And these are not just crazy ideas. These are areas that really could qualify as national parks. Uh, so the, the main issue is that we, as you say, we've sort of assumed that pretty much we've, we've designated all the areas that ought to be parks already, and there's not really much left except a few historic sites maybe or something. And then we get this, this bogus idea that, oh, we can't afford new parks. So we can barely afford the ones we have. We're such a poor country. That's why we spend, you know, trillions on military hardware and stuff. But we can't afford parks that benefit our climate and our biodiversity and our people. So we need to, we, I think we, the conservation community, need to, need to realize this is a positive, beneficial thing we can do. And we can do it all over the country. And the public supports national parks. In fact, I, I don't know if you've seen, there's a Pew poll that's done every so often on public attitudes towards uh, government, federal government. And they list, they ask people their favorable or unfavorable ratings for federal agencies. And consistently, the top agency, popularity-wise, is the U.S. Postal Service. The second one is the National Park Service like 70% positive rating. Uh, so people love national parks. So why aren't we, we've got something that's good for the country, beneficial, doable, and people love them. So why aren't we doing more parks? And I think it's just because we, people assume it's not possible. Well, it is. And that's, and I see my job as, as, you know, promoting that idea and helping groups 
who want to do new parks to do them. It's a killer message. I mean, it automatically is going to get anybody listening to this, uh, given what they've just seen in their email and social media feeds, a boost, uh, you know, mm-hmm. at least a one cup of coffee boost, if not more, just because we don't let ourselves talk about stuff like this. We just don't. I think right. it, it just, you know, if you want to keep your war paint on and you want to, you know, stay sharp and rough, you don't allow yourself sometimes too much of this hopey stuff. And then a guy comes along with a map of 500 plus places that actually really would qualify or very good candidates for national park status, um, or at least far stricter protection than they they have now. Mm -hmm. You're in danger of making people hopeful there, mister. (laughs) Well, and and I'm not, I'm not a Pollyanna. I don't at all discount the fact that, uh, we need to do major defensive battles across the country, especially more than ever now. So the, the folks working to, to stop bad things from happening, more power to them. And I, I don't at all say that's not necessary and important. My, right. my feeling is, are we going to endlessly do that? And I would argue that, that we are losing the battle in the long run. We keep losing places, losing places. We may save some. We go a step forward, and then we go two steps back. National parks are permanent, as permanent as you're going to get. So wilderness, the same way. That's just having the the force and legal uh, basis uh, of the federal government behind it is as close as we're going to get. It's not perfect. Nothing is, a, you know, nothing on the universe is really eternal, but it's as close as we're going to get. Because, and take a look at the record of national parks. I mean, uh, the, for, take the Trump administration, for example. They're drilling their brains out on Bureau of Land Management lanes. They're opening everything to grazing. They're fracking. They're on national forests. They're logging the, in the Tongass and other forests. They're even logging old-growth forests. On private lands, industrial lands, they're turning them into tree farms and strip mining, and so forth. The only the places that are that are in state lands, most states exploit their state lands for resource extraction and so forth. So, but you got national parks where, despite their best efforts, and wilderness too, for that matter, for the most part, the, the even the Trumpsters have had a really hard time eroding the protections. They cut, you know, they keep cutting the budget. But the funny thing is, the uh, one of the past uh, directors of the National Park Service, they when this was like in the 1940s, Newton Drury, I think it was, and um, he he said something when they asked him, "Oh, you know, you don't have enough budget to take to take care of the parks," and he was complaining that he didn't have enough budget. And they said, "Well, that does that mean you know we can't afford the parks?" This was like 1948 or something. Hmm. And he said, we have no money, we can do no harm. And the point being, think about it, you know, if you had no money for national parks, as long as you could keep people out from poaching and so forth, I mean, you could just leave Yellowstone, you could just close the gates, leave it. The wildlife would take perfectly good care of itself. In fact, it would do probably a little better. Um, So you don't really need... It's not like you need huge amounts of money, really, to have big wilderness parks. I mean, the big wilderness parks in Alaska, they have very little budget. They're just, they're just wilderness. And yeah. you can't, we, we come up with these arguments as to why we can't do it, but really we need to flip it around and go, why, why, how can we not do it? I mean, we need to, 
we, we, we're now talking about how we basically have a decade to radically change the way we deal with, with climate change issues and rain in greenhouse gases and so forth. And now we're recognizing that protecting forests and wetlands and, uh, and grasslands and soils is essential if we're going to prevent, if we have any chance of preventing going over two degrees, one, one and a half or two degrees Celsius increase in warming. What are we doing to protect these forests and wetlands and whatever? We're not doing very much. And here we could, in one fell swoop, say we pass the New National Parks for America Act that designates 150 or 200 million acres of new national parks across the country, which would increase the national park system by, what, three times if you at the upper end, and uh, do it all in one big bill that, that uh, designates all these lands and, um, you know, I, it would be like the Alaska, the last time we did this was the Alaska Lands Act, which yeah. doubled the size of the national park system in one big bill, and it designated wilderness areas as well, wild and scenic rivers, trails. Why don't we do that? Why don't we have one bill that does, that? and, and we've got 10 years to do it, let's do it in five years or whatever. Um, we need to think really boldly about this. We don't have time to fool around. Yeah. And defensive battles aren't even come close. And all the even all the positive things we're doing, even if they all happen, it wouldn't be enough. So this is a way, in a positive way, because national people love parks. They're beneficial. Instead of saying, "Take your medicine, take your you know climate change and your biodiversity and your you know public health medicine." It's good for you. You do. You say, "Let's create national parks," you, and people go, "Whoa, that sounds good." So there's half Earth. There's uh, uh -huh. Nature Needs Half. There's the Weiss Foundation, and there's Tompkins, yep. and there's all these people who are doing different things to stitch the Earth back together. Basically, right. they're they're looking for places, right. parcels, land, protections of any kind, and everything's on the table. It doesn't matter. Right. And I, I really, I have to reiterate. I don't often think of national parks being a possibility in a, in, a, in a way that you're talking about. So again, I'm still just coming down from that buzz that you gave me at the very beginning of this, which was, this is also part of that mosaic that we're trying to stitch things together. I think it's possible, and give me your feedback on this, that things have gotten to the point where awareness is so high, it's at it's at an all-time high of different ecological problems that are out there, whether somebody's focused on climate change or biodiversity or whatever, of the millions of issues underneath each one of those umbrellas they could be focused on. They're aware. People are aware. And I think this is probably the only kind of situation where something big like what you're talking about could happen. I don't think it's possible right. in any other situation for it to happen. And so big things right. can happen right here. And it's and I'm, I'm counting on guys like you to have the answers and the maps and the, like, here's what we want. Here's what, and you say there's this bill. Talk a little bit more about this bill, where it originated, how long it's been on the table. What do we need to know about this thing? Oh, you mean the New National Parks for America bill? Well, it's the bills right now, it's in my head because we haven't written it, but um, I've done all the research for you it. You better it's get busy. Doable. 
<laughs> Let's start the, writing. There are there are some good models. There was, for example, there was the uh, Eastern Wilderness Act, and there was the wilder. There was a, a an act uh, that, that that talked about that created a bunch of new wilderness. I'm trying to remember the name of the act um, that uh, that said we have a, a dire need basically for more wilderness, especially in the Eastern United States. And it created a bunch of new wilderness there. This was in like, I believe in the seventies. And then the Alaska Lands Act was a huge thing. And, and that would be the model is to do, it's, you know, an omnibus federal bill. Yeah. And the thing is, what's interesting looking at it, one thing I have the benefit of because I've spent all this time on doing it and most people haven't, but there's actually a lot more going on out there than you would think in terms of groups either proposing new parks or dreaming of new parks or thinking, gee, a new park might be a solution, but what do we do? Because we don't know how to do it. We don't have any models to go by. It's, everybody tells us it's not possible. So I think a rising tide would lift a lot of boats if we start the ball rolling here. I mean, just, yeah. just the, in the Maine woods, for example, that national park when we proposed a, na a national park in the Maine Woods in 1994, there were no national park proposals out there other than there was one in the Sonoran Desert, which was a great proposal, and which still there are people who would like to do it. There were a couple other ones, but they weren't really active at that time to the extent that we were. And, we, and what happened is we, in doing that campaign, people found out about it, and we started talking to groups around the country who said, wow, that's really cool that you're talking about a park in the Maine Woods. Uh, we have an area that might be a good park, and, you know, we talk about it, and some of them ended up proposing parks. Uh, most of them have not happened yet, although some of the areas have been had gotten other protection. But those people are still out there. And uh, there are a lot yeah. of people, I think, who are would be willing and interested in, in uh, going for new parks if they thought, but they need to think it's possible. And, of course... Our opponents want them to think nothing's possible, and that the best they can do is some some scrounging little tag end of you know not complete destruction, only partial destruction. And so I think by doing, you show people that it's possible. You know, the in the Maine Woods, we proposed a 3.2 million acre national park in the Maine Woods, uh, which was totally possible physically and you know <laughs> geologically, uh, but Politically, it was everybody told us it was impossible. But so what happens that we, you know, after 20 whatever years, Roxanne Quinby, the who created Burt's Bees Company, who had a lot of money, buys 87,500 acres, arranges to donate it to the federal government, and President Obama designated it as a new national monument in our proposed original park. Now, if we had not proposed that park, I can guarantee that land would not have been protected. But today it's a national monument, and it needs yeah. to be expanded. But and, and interestingly, there was all this opposition. People said, oh, Mainers hate, hate the federal government. You can't do it. Oh, they love logging. You can't do a park. But now that it's created, all the opposition is just dried up. It was created in 2016. The supporters are going, wow, this, this is amazing. And the local towns, all the businesses are going, Huh, gee, we thought it was going to destroy everybody's jobs. People are going to be driven out of their houses. But actually, my restaurant is getting a lot more business. And in fact, my house is worth more than it was because the property values are no longer dropping. And so I, it's like there's this uh, no K 
can-do attitude that so many people have about big ideas, but when you show them that, you know, you really can do it, they go, wow, of course I support that. I just didn't think it was possible. Man, there's still a lot of things that we could we could branch off. I'm so greedy. I'd love to stay at the 30,000-foot, you know, <laughs> view of this, but I want to talk about this this bill a little bit more because I'm really mm-hmm. interested in, yeah. and I'm, I'm sensing that there is momentum here with all the people that I talk to in the podcast and elsewise and, and just just a regular person like everybody else keeping up or trying to keep up with all the news out there. You know, the half earth stuff's really taking off the, um, and everybody associated with no matter what they call it, uh, rewilders, um, everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and people are starting to understand more complex things. They're being forced to, you know, you can't, like if you're an online magazine and you make your living getting clicks on your articles, you can't keep mm-hmm. running the same article about basic climate change. You're going to have to start talking right. about science in a minute. And that's right. true for right. every other conservation topic out there. So what's happening inadvertently here is that the public's getting a bit more educated, not as fast as we would like and not, you know, but it's happening and in a really, right. really big way. And so there are some things right. that I want to talk about. Like, so you have a ready to go Maine Woods National Park. Like you guys have been studying that. You've been talking about that. You've been so that that's what I would consider something when when a, a government wonk comes up and says, Well, what do you have for me? What's the acreage? What's the boundaries? What's all this stuff? And there right. are a lot of other people on that list of 500, I would imagine, that have a, a vague idea or somewhere between vague and and what you guys have in the Maine Woods National right. Park that is not ready to go for like an omnibus style bill. Do you think that a bill could be put together where it takes into account all of these places, Maine Woods National Park and the other ones are, are uh, boxed and ready to go? And here's all the things that you need. And, but also in this bill, we're going to take all of these others, like we used to, well, we still do, had wilderness study areas. Can we have national park study areas right. for places that aren't quite? Oh, yeah. Officially, you're supposed to do a National Park Service study before to uh, take a look at a proposed area and say whether or not it qualifies. In reality, as you know, Congress can do whatever it wants. And so there are some parks that were created to Congress, to, you know, for whatever reason, they decided to create the park. And the, in fact, a few places, the National Park Service didn't want to do it because in the past they thought, oh, well, we can't afford to have too many parks. Well, still now they're back to that. Can't afford to so many parks, we can't manage them. So we have... So, so they said, for example, oh, we already have one big um, Cascades volcano. We got uh, Mount Rainier. So why do we need Mount St. Helens, Mount Hood, Mount Shasta, <laughs> Mount Adams? You know, we don't need those. We already got one. And, yeah. you know, they did that all over the country. And there were loads of places like that that should have been parks in the first place. So there's a number of like Mount Hood. There's a there's a website right now that has a proposal for to turn the white the Mount Hood National Forest into a national park, which it fully should be. On the other hand, there's Okmulgee in um, Georgia, which is now a small national historical park. But there's a proposal to expand that to go down the uh, river corridor and include a bunch of wildlife areas and existing public lands and create a a full national park. And that's a region that doesn't have very many national park areas. So that actually, that's that's pretty much ready to go. You've got areas like in um, 
the southwest in California, there's a proposal for to the Santa Ana Mountains and uh, part of the Cleveland National Forest in the Palomar Mountains. Their proposal is to create a national monument or a national park there. There's a proposal to expand the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area in near L.A. to include the rim of the valley area. Uh, that could be uh, that should be upgraded to a full national park. There's a proposal uh, to to upgrade Glen Canyon National Recreation Area into a full national park and include Bureau of Land Management lands around it that are not protected. Um, and it's especially timely because with the drought in the southwest, Lake Powell is shrinking, and, and there's a proposal to bypass Lake Powell and drain it, bypass Glen Canyon Dam and drain Lake Powell and turn it, you know, and allow it to restore itself and have a restored Glen Canyon. So there's a proposal it to designate land between the lakes national recreation area in Kentucky and Tennessee, which is now a for, U.S. Forest Service uh, national recreation area, which is just grossly mismanaged. They do logging. They do all kinds of artificial manipulation. They have a pen with bison in it. It's really bad. But it's a beautiful diverse forest and it could be a national in a place that doesn't have very many national parks uh there are, there are places like the north cascades national park which is proposed for an expansion i there's a proposal by the sierra club has talked about to expand delaware water gap national recreation area in um, new jersey and pennsylvania to include a bunch of state lands that surround it and connect it all together into a much bigger uh, ecosystem, and that—that's uh, you know—that's only about an hour drive outside New York City. New York City doesn't have any major, big national parks right nearby. And I could go on and on. There, play well. Uh, one other thing I don't want to forget is you talk about half Earth. Um, E.O. Wilson, who is sort of the most prominent um, purveyor of that and champion of that. He, he grew up in Alabama, outside Mobile, Alabama. One of his favorite places is the Mobile Tensaw Delta, which has been proposed as a national park. Mm-hmm. And I, I uh, talked with him just recently, actually, because he has endorsed our bill in Massachusetts to designate state lands as parks and reserves. And um, I said, I, we'd like to help you turn Mobile Tensaw into a national park. And he said, oh, that's great. Let's talk. You know, I'd be glad to work with you on that. That's so, you know. <laughs> so, uh, there's stuff all over the place. There's so much potential. You're listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Did you know we also publish insightful and inspirational content from leading rewilding scholars, poets, artists, and organizers from around the world? You can visit rewilding.org and sign up for our weekly digest to receive brilliant, fresh insights on everything rewilding. You'll find over a decade of articles and news from the front lines of wildlands protection and all kinds of restoration efforts. Check us out at rewilding.org, and don't forget to share it with friends. Okay, so to recap, this is so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just I'm sensing what listeners are thinking about right now, and I think I know. It's exciting. We don't get to talk about stuff like this enough. I think I've said that like 20 times already, but it, it bears repeating. It, it's really exciting. It, I think of the fell swoop idea, the omnibus type thing, um, there are a lot of people like you actually out there who have a really good handle on, I mean, Dave Foreman can just go for hours mm-hmm. listing off all the places. Yep. I mean, uh, you know, he's done a complete survey of all the big wild areas, mm-hmm. uh, of the United States and beyond right. in, 
cases. And there are a lot of people who can do this. And uh, I wouldn't think that it would take too much laughing because it does take an awful lot to get the, the bill drafted and all, all that. But you, it's not for lack of resources and, and, and people knowing what's on the ground. Um, it's just that people have been really afraid to talk about that kind of stuff. They're always over here putting fires out. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that ought to be a national park, by the way. And then they get back to work. And so we've got an economic incentive, property values in the surrounding communities stabilize or even go up. All the other things that we're trying to do, it seems like this is the time in history where this really, really, really needs to happen. And it's probably the most possible that it could. Yes. And we have, and the other thing that we have perversely, unfortunately, in our favor is that we have places all across the country that are being highlighted now because they are under attack by developed by frackers and loggers and pipelines and, and uh, overgrazing and all, and all kinds of uh, destructive uses. I mean, you can break it down into different sorts of things. For example, you know, there's just a, a paper just came, a scientific paper just came out that said we, if we protected the, the most uh, intensely uh, carbon-rich forests in the Pacific Northwest, especially in the Cascades, but also in the coastal range, um, we would, it would have a huge impact, positive impact on storing carbon and mitigating climate change. Well, there are a number of areas all along there that could be new national parks. Bam! You automatically stop, stop. You get rid of logging, and you're protecting the forest. You got in. Look at Alaska, just as a microcosm. You got Arctic refuge with drilling and so forth. You got the and you got the the petrol the petroleum reserve to the west. If you put those two together as a big national park, it would be 42 million acres. 42 million wow. acres, which is be the probably the largest park on the planet. And it's almost all pristine wilderness. Why aren't we talking about that? Why are we fighting to stop drilling on this little coastal plain, which we should be? But why aren't we thinking? And then the whole the whole Western Arctic is almost completely being ignored, and they're going after that big time. I and think I know why. You got the you got the Tongass National Forest, exactly. The, yeah, which is one of the largest stores of carbon with old growth forests that are being logged and they're going to increase the logging, that ought to be a national park. Let's make the whole thing a national park. Why are we talking about little scraps? Then you got Bristol Bay, which is they want to build a, a strip mine for heavy for metals in the watershed of one of the most important uh, salmon uh, watersheds on the planet. Why don't we create a giant national park that takes in both the, the land and Bristol Bay itself? Make that a whole big national park. I mean, we're, we're, here we are just fighting these little, little wars against the, and we let the developers take the first plunge. They come up with their proposals and their efforts, and then here we are backing up. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, please don't destroy that. Why aren't we the ones who are, have yeah. our grand plan? And we go, here's how it ought to be. Yeah. Well, I was so, going to say, because I, I've seen in, in several cases where we were only able to get wilderness area study status. And, and you, mentioned it, you mentioned it, too, with um, the main woods, that, that you guys mm-hmm. were just looking at it, that it's been proposed. It starts to tamp down those grand ambitions, those evil guys with the cigars yes. who are always trying right. to chop up the land. They just start to go away. And you haven't actually gotten any more official protection of something than just saying, hey, we're looking at this for uh, national park status. 
that has an ability. Yeah, this is one of my biggest arguments. Yes. One of my biggest arguments is that there's an aura of protection around national parks because people, they're, they're cherished places to people. And when you say this area ought to be a national park, people say, whoa, wait a minute, that must be a really special place. And you go, they want to be law, they want to, they want to drill in a proposed national park. People go, wait a minute, what? And you're seeing that even like with Bears Ears, which is a national monument, it's not even under the National Park Service, but people don't know, actually know the difference. They think it's the same thing. And here Trump illegally shrinks Bears Ears and they want to go in and and drill and stuff. People are outraged. Now, if that hadn't been designated as a national monument, I can guarantee you probably they would have done this and no one would have known about it. Yeah, they try. They're trying to do that outside of um, <clears throat> Chaco Culture National Historical Park, which what, on BLM land outside the park, they want to do fracking and stuff. And it's been pushed back, although I don't, because it's because it's a sacred place. I don't think that's going to be permanent, though, if we don't do something. Why don't we tur- draw a big line around Chaco Canyon and designate all the BLM lands? And there's a lot of Bureau of Land Management land around there. Make it one big national park. Why are we even fooling around with even thinking about drilling on those lands? It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, you can go all around the country with places like that. Boundary Waters. If you. That new mine. Boundary Waters is another place where they want to, yeah, they want to do. Why don't we just make the entire Superior National Forest a a big national park and include Voyagers National Park and connect the whole thing together and include, and you've already got the Boundary uh, Waters Wilderness, but. And that would be a wilderness area within the bigger park. I mean, why aren't we thinking about that? You know what's so cool about this is like, that's the thing is people are like, wait a minute, this is my park. Now in the Boundary Waters thing, it's like, well, okay, technically they're going to go right up to uh, the the edge of the the Boundary Waters. So we're not, but we're not hurting anything. Well, yes, you are. And Bruce Anderson was on last week to tell us exactly how that would hurt. Uh, With the noise, the pollution, the everything else, there are edge effects there. That would affect the park greatly. But but if we're proactive right. and say, um, you know, we want to build a mine here and we say no. And in fact, what we want is a national park here. So get ready right. to, to, you know, pull your big boy pants on because you're going to have a hell of a fight. You're not going to just we're right. not going to do this little shake each other's hands in the back rooms in D.C. and all that stuff. Do favors for our buddies. We're going to pull this right out in public now. And it's not going to be about permits and and any of that stuff, mineral rights, exactly. none of that. What we're going to do is we're going to have a really big, ugly, if you want it to be, public fight about what we want. And we were actually thinking about that as a national park. I don't see right. them arguing exactly. that. I don't see people arguing that. I see them just going, oh, no, they try to put their arms around the thing that they want to save and go this far and no further. And I'm kind of sick. I'm starting to realize today how sick of that argument I am. I'm tired of being right. the wuss that just wants to protect the thing that's already, that's, you know, had boundaries around it. I want more. You've made me right. very greedy today, Michael. <laughs> well, a good example is uh, the Sonoran Desert proposed national park. Here we've got this idiotic wall that Trump is, is slowly, you know, trying to build and is not, is, and it's been, they've been working on it even before Trump. And in Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument, they've been, you know, in a, along, and at the San Pedro River uh, National Conservation Area along the border, they're doing tremendous damage. I, I think most of it is, or a lot of it, is because most people don't really know these places. And, and if the, 
you think if this were a national, if these were national parks, and if the Oregon Pipe Cactus is a national monument, it basically has the same protection, but it doesn't have the visibility. You look at a National Geographic guide to national parks, that isn't on that, in that guide. It's the national parks with a capital N-P. Those are the places that are the best known and have the best protection. Here there's a proposal to expand Oregon Pipe Cactus to, to be about three or four times bigger than that, which is what we ought to do. And that would not only provide more protection for the other lands, but it would it would focus people's attention. And you'd go, by the way, this area we're proposing as a park, these idiots are building a wall that's destroying wildlife habitat and stuff. This is crazy. Well, the, people this, would go, whoa. Yeah, and that's a tried and true tactic. It's it's um it's yes. it's all the cockroaches that scatter when you turn on the lights, and and exactly. the lights have been off around the border for a long time. What most people know yep. is that a human you know, pretty much will die in the summertime five minutes after they get out of their car in that area. But yep. that doesn't mean that, and that's true, and it's great. It's what kept the area such a good secret to some uh, right. people otherwise, but it's also been its biggest um, a downfall because there are a lot of people right. who don't understand what's happening down there to that sacred land that geologically will not recover for millions of years. And if, them, if an ex right. if a species goes extinct down there because of it, it's never going to recover. That's never going to come back. Right. It is forever. Right. And they just don't know. And so it's this idea of just, um, a, well, what, what is your vision for constantly roiling up awareness around the country you know, not just in, in, in Maine or, or other places, but I mean, if you were in charge of things uh, and had a fairly decent budget, what would you be yeah. doing to get people more aware of all of these things? And, and I think it would start for me with the audacity that somebody wants to add 500 new places to the national park system. You know, you could, that, that's where you start the conversation to me. It's like, wait, we're just trying to save what they're trying to take away. You want to add? I mean, it's a, it's a conversation starter for sure. If I had more money and resources or whatever, I would have a, a great website up already instead of almost ready to go up. And, and it's we would have a bill drafted and it would be circulating around. We would have, I mean, I've talked with a lot of people around the country working on these areas, but I can't, you know, I can't build the, I can't talk to these people all the time. And trying to go from that level to, to creating a whole, we really need a coalition of of local yeah. groups and organizations and activists, uh, uh, which is what, you know, they had the Alaska coalition when they passed the Alaska lands act. That's what we need. Um, and it would be nationwide. And I, and there, I know a lot of people out there. I know that there, as you say, there are a lot of people who are experts on this. There are a lot of retired, there's a, a national park service retirees organization, for example, mm -hmm. I've been in touch with a lot of those folks. They would love to see, an expansion of the park service and talk about a brain trust of people who know incredible amounts of stuff about these areas. Uh, and the other thing is I've, I'm working on a brochure, which is long overdue, that's going to look like a National Park Service brochure, but it's going to have our map of the top 100 areas, and it's going to talk about this issue. And we're going to, that's what we did with our Maine Woods National Park. We created this this faux National Park Service brochure. So part of it is just to get people to sort of think envision it you know they got to mm -hmm. envision it in their head what is what would this really look like and if and then you start uh talking about real specific areas and getting people for example i've been talking to people in massachusetts people in new england have been taught to think oh well you you know this is just a worked over forest it's nothing special 
there's no, nothing to see here. If you want real wilderness and real wildlife and whatever, go out west somewhere. But the reality is we've got here we we've got this bill to designate 610,000 acres or so of Massachusetts, which is about 11% of the state, uh, which is state-owned land that could be preserved as parks and reserves. I mean that's a that's a lot of land, and and we also have talked about a. Uh, creating a new Berkshire National Park in western Massachusetts on state lands and a Quabbin National Park, which is a huge chunk of land, the largest public land tract in southern New England. And people really like the idea. And yet, you know, we can't do it. We can't do it all uh, with with a small group like we are, but it's um, it's a chicken and egg sort of thing. Well, Sir, you can. I can. I know that I can speak for the entire board of the Rewilding Institute and say that you've got your first coalition member right here. Uh, I believe that we're already kind of. I think it's really the big vision stuff that we is the only thing that we have left. And it might feel like fifty, a hundred years from now, um, if we're around to talk about it, that we were kind of slow, weren't we? We were just a little. I mean, because all of this defensive stuff, which is should still be happening. Thank goodness mm-hmm. for all the organizations right. that are dedicated to tying this four years of everything up in court that they possibly yep. can to protect it. And yep. all those yep. heroes, those unsung people I know are still in the government, uh, you know, yep. doing their thing to protect, keeping records um, from being burned right. or hidden. Or <laughs> There's some real heroes right. out there holding things down. While that's happening, somebody has to be out here in charge of the big, 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 big picture. And and then and I want that picture to scare the living daylights of all this extractive resource industry of every other person who's taking advantage of our panic right now, where we're all just going around and just picking up, you know, little tiny places and just holding our arms around them and just, you know, whatever we can possibly do, because all of our attention being focused on that is what enables them to do even more of that. And I don't think a lot of people understand right. that. In a, in a sense, right, and in fact, it's a it's an opportunity to grab the attention of the public, and I, because I think the public is on our side, it's just that they don't know, and they and even if they do know about the problems, they don't know what they can do about it, and yet here we are, we've got areas. I've got a, my, my top 100. I've got there's there's at least one area in every single state, and Hawaii, and including Hawaii and Alaska, and also the uh, Puerto Rico. Every place in the country, there's a potential new or expanded park. It's not like, oh, we're leaving you out. You, you know, you got second-rate stuff or whatever. Sorry. There, no. In fact, there's an area, there's an area that's straddling uh, Rhode Island and Connecticut, the the Wood and Pawtucket Pawtucket watershed, which is the largest tract of pretty much intact forest between. New York City and Boston along the coast. It's bio, you know, very biodiverse, even as it is, which is damaged and they're logging it. But here you got a place that could be a park. So every place in the country, there's a potential to do something. And it's positive. So we can say, look, here's something for your part of the country that you can help to do. It's going to help. It's not going to solve all their problems, but it really will help a lot of important problems. The developers, then they have to say, no, no, you don't want a national park. You want oil rigs and get and fracking and clear cutting and cows grazing and that's what you want right yeah you don't want to park and so right now it's like take your medicine we got to stop doing these bad things because it's good for you 
and the developers go, well, you don't want to give up all the, you know, you don't want to give up your toilet paper and you don't want to give up your steak and blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like it's all negative. But we go, yeah. okay, so the trade-off is between fracking and a national park. Do you want to expand Theodore Roosevelt National Park to take in this million acres of, na- of national grassland surrounding it? Or do you want to keep letting them frack it and destroy this ecosystem? Which one would you rather have? I think most people would say they'd like a bigger national park. Yep. And, and regardless of party lines, um, regardless yeah, of, right. you know, uh, because one thing that... Yeah, the, and, and that's the other who, thing is people say, well, you know, the Congress won't do anything anymore. It's gridlock or whatever. But the reality is, as we know, who've worked on federal legislation, the thing that, that politicians react to is public pressure. If they think they're going to yeah. lose the election because they won't support some, some bill or whatever... They're going to think twice about it, even if they're re- conserv- super conservative. And, and in the past, so, well, even now, you know, it's interesting that we haven't created any big parks lately, but smaller parks, historical parks, have been created with the blessing of Republicans, even in the last few years. And it's because they got the message from their constituents. We really think this ought to be a park. We really support it. Um, so I don't think it's impossible to even even in the worst political circumstances to move a lot of the Congress in the right direction, but you got to have a nationwide, a really strong public. It won't work state by state because the rest of the state, the rest of the Congress won't do it. But if well, it's a national campaign, then we can start moving. You know, we can get the, the con- Congress people who already support parks and then build on that. I think all we have to say here is one of the only bills that's gotten through this Congress in the last almost four going on four years was a wilderness bill or a bill that included yeah. a huge significant amount of chunk of new wilderness in New Mexico and a bunch of other places. Right. So, so right. there is absolutely nothing to the argument that there's no appetite because there is no appetite. If there was never, an, there's never been less of an appetite in this Congress to do anything good for nature than, than yeah. we have now. And we got one of the only things, because there's 400, 500 bills just sitting on McConnell's desk right now, out of spite not being taken up in the Senate. Just out of spite. I have no idea how a wilderness bill got through all of that, but it did. And that's just how passionate people are about this. I think you're exactly right. It's only public. So it's got to be the vision. You're helping to provide that vision in a really big way. We need to continue uh, along those lines. And then and and people will take that up and i and i totally agree with you one of the best things that we've ever done uh is make national parks sacrosanct they are the mm-hmm. pinnacle of absolute everybody there's not another there's nobody that looks at them negatively right everybody knows what to think when you say national right. park and if you go up to that level that view and just start from there so many other things get protected it's like um, it's yeah. like an umbrella species for protections, because if you right. can't get a certain area as national park, it might become wilderness. If you can't get it, it might be right. become a, a monument or or um, a, a wildlife whatever it might be. Right. Uh, if you shoot for the top, right. you're going to get something. And with this right. public, well, that's outcry, what happened in the North Cascades. Is that yeah. they propo- originally proposed a much larger North Cascades national park. They didn't get the whole thing, but then they designated wilderness areas around it. 
And so actually much of the original, most of the original proposed park is protected, not all of it, and they want to expand it. And then you got Yellowstone, which even though it's, I mean, we ought to be expanding Yellowstone. I don't know why we are not talking about expanding Yellowstone, like, you know, three or four times the size it is. So here we are trying to save bison that leave Yellowstone. We're, trying, we're worried about grizzly bears where they have a core habitat in Yellowstone and they get shot if they go outside. We're worried about pronghorns, which, which migrate. We're, you know, we're worried about wolves. If we expanded Yellowstone, we would take care of all those species. Now, it wouldn't solve all the problems, but you, then you would, you would have a much bigger core habitat for these species automatically. Why are we not talking about that? I mean, it's, you can hunt wolves in Forest Service wilderness areas right outside uh, Yellowstone National Park. Wolves can be shot if they wander out of the park into a wilderness area even. It's, mm -hmm. it's, they're still, so it's, even that's not full protection. So we ought to be, you, you solve so many problems when you create a national park. Um, that it's a, just a, it's a neat, clean, one reason we originally thought about it is we, everybody knows what a park is. Everybody has a positive opinion. You know what you're getting, you know what, and, and it's accepted, even the, even conservative, you know, look at Utah, for example, this right-wing Utah congressional delegation, which has helped, you know, tried to gut the national monuments or whatever, they haven't touched the national parks. Sure, they've tried to have more, private industry, you know, private commercial stuff or whatever. But you may remember that during the, the shutdown, when they shut down all the parks, that Utah, that the Utah legislature put up money to keep the Utah parks open because they were yeah. so important to the economy. So even in the most conservative places, they national parks have a magical quality, and we're just not using that. I don't know why. It's like you have, have this great tool and you just aren't using it. I think we get distracted. You know, it's kind of like being in that yep. money machine on the old game shows where they put you in and they turn it on and the money starts flying around and everybody would come out of there with like $3, but there was like $1,000 yeah. in there. And I think right. we're doing that right now with all of the issues. Everything's coming unraveled. That's one of the reasons I think that rewilding really works and speaks to people because we talk mm -hmm. about things on a really big scale. We talk about the whole sweater and not just one little thread of it. Because then the sweater right. starts to fray all over the place, and we, we're like we're trying to put all our fingers in all of the dike holes instead of just going, you know, we really just need to work on this dike all together and stop messing with the, all of these little holes because we're never going to be able to plug them all. Right. And, and mentioning rewilding is, is I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the advantages of national parks, people, there are some people in our movement, and bless, them, bless their hearts, they have the best of intentions. They go, oh, well, I'd rather have wilderness than national parks because national parks can get loved to death and whatever. And I would argue that that's actually only a tiny portion of the parks. But say that's true, the reality is wilderness can only be designated on lands that are roadless and substantially un appear to be unchanged by humans. And, and so most of the, the American landscape can't qualify as wilderness, even most of our public lands. National yeah. parks can be designated on areas that have been severely degraded. You know, Shenandoah National Park was basically farmland, mostly farmland and woodlots and stuff when it was designated. And yeah. much of Smoky Mountain, Great Smoky Mountain National Park, Big Bend was a bunch of ranch land that had been degraded and is still recovering. So we can designate 
wilderness and then surround it with these recovery areas in all in one big national park. I mean, that's something no other kind of land management tool can do that the way national parks can. And that's if we're going to have any serious big protection, especially in the east, we need restoration and recovery and rewilding. And a national park is really the best single way to do it, it because it, because you're draw you just draw a line around it and you say this is going to be the future wild area. This is, you know, we're going to let this area alone. We're going to let it recover. It's going to be, someday it's going to be a beautiful wild land. Well, I'm going to take a stab at uh, what people ought to do because uh, our listeners don't like to talk for too long before they, 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 they sense an urge, urgency for action. They need to do something. So <laughs> restore.org, go to restore.org and click on get involved. Yep. And hang out with Michael as much as you can online, stay in touch. And we certainly are going to do so at Rewilding. And you're going to hear a lot more uh, about this topic. Uh, mark my words, because I want to have some more interviews on podcasts like this. We need this kind of energy. We need a boost more than we may have ever in the history of the conservation movement uh, since it began. And, and I, I really love this vision in conjunction with all the people that are working really, really hard to stop the atrocities that are attempted now or happening now. We need those people too. We also need something to give us this level of energy and excitement. What else can a listener do today Michael, to, uh, to take some action on what we've talked about? Well, uh, we, there's a uh, petition, an online petition, which, and you don't have to be a Massachusetts person to sign the petition. It's to support our, uh, the bill in Massachusetts that I mentioned, which would designate all state land as parks and reserves. If this bill passes, it, this will be uh, this will be the first state, the first and only state to designate all of our state conservation lands as off limits to commercial logging and other extractive uses. To my knowledge, there's no other state because that does that. They, some of them have wilderness areas, they have parks, but then they have other areas that are open to resource extraction. This would stop all of that and it would just protect these areas permanently. And there's an online petition uh, we're trying to get people to sign, which is at uh, moveon.org. We'll have, a, we'll have a link to yeah. that uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, but at rewilding.org and podcasts, of course, on this page, on that page, we will have the link so everybody can go take action on that for sure. And then the other thing is um, we have a website that's under construction, but I, I'm going to put it up in a, at least a bare bones way pretty soon. It's going to have our map of the top hundred areas so people can see what we've got in their part of the world but that's going to be at newparks.org people can go there and we're going to have links to all of these i've mentioned a number of the areas where there are local groups that are talking about parks or thinking about it i'm going to we're going to have a link to all those areas so they can get in touch with people and hopefully there's going to be one near them and if not they can maybe they can help to start their own effort because we're also going to have a toolkit uh, telling people how national parks work and what what they what you have to do to qualify and what's the process and 
people don't know that much about parks when you really dig below the fact that they like them and they've been there and they're beautiful. They don't really know exactly how the whole system works and the, yeah. the history of parks. And there, there's sort of a senior crew of national park experts out there who've done parks and created them. But there's a whole generation of people who don't really have that experience. And so we need to give them all the information we have and empower them and say, please, carry this torch forward because it's really important and you can you can create a whole new generation of parks in across the country here's how you can do it and here's where it might be possible michael thank you so much for being on rewilding earth i feel like we could go on a lot more uh we already uh, <laughs> earlier before we started recording found another use for you on another podcast to help out activists and organizers and directors and so we're going to definitely do that if you want but i'm going to have to ask you to sure. come back and we have to continue this because uh this is really great and i think people are going to really really appreciate the energy the ideas and they know how now to get involved below this podcast. You can click on any of the links that Michael mentioned uh, for extra credit and get involved. And let's make this thing happen. This is, this is exciting stuff. Great. I can't argue with that. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. We do what we do because of you. This podcast is supported by listeners like you who long to live in a wilder world please consider donating at rewilding.org and subscribe to our weekly news and article digest while you're there. To go the extra mile, you can follow and share Rewilding Earth on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Bonus points for sharing this podcast with your friends. To listen to past episodes, go to rewilding.org pod. That's rewilding.org pod.